All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, this is super exciting. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for joining us online. If you are streaming live with us, we are grateful to be here to celebrate and witness the profession of faith by five people in our congregation. We had the excitement of celebrating three baptisms earlier this morning at the first service, and so we continue that celebration today, and we are super excited. We look forward to this all the time in our church uh, for baptisms. Baptisms is not just a New Testament phenomenon. We see uh, indications, um, imagery within the Old Testament uh, for uh, baptism and communion. In fact, when we see in Exodus, when God leads his people out of Egypt, he is cleansing them of what they had from behind, and they travel through the water um, onto dry land on the other side, uh, again, going through water. And then while they were there uh, wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, God is preparing them, and then once again, they travel through the water uh, into the promised land through the Jordan River. Water was used for cleansing and, and for preparing people to be ritualistically clean and able to worship God in the temple. Well, within this imagery, the Apostle Paul picks up on uh, exactly what I had just said. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles or you can uh, follow along on the screen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were found under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In the Evangelical Covenant Church, we celebrate two sacraments, baptism and communion, as a special means of grace in which God is moving in a very awesome, wonderful, joyous, and mysterious way. Very often, we just look at the person who is being baptized, and we're saying, well, yes, a sacrament is an outward expression of an inward faith, and, and this baptism is just a symbol of their faith. But that's not a sacrament. A sacrament is more than a symbol. It is actually God's presence. It is God's grace whom God is moving within the actions of those sacraments. As a certain sense of mystery involved in this sacrament, um, this is a very visible and physical way to help strengthen our faith, which is sometimes weakened uh, by this world and the things that we encounter. And these visible physical signs help strengthen our faith in God and acknowledging God's presence with us. A sacrament is defined as Christ participated in it, Christ instituted it, and Christ commanded us to partake in it as well. And that's why we only acknowledge two sacraments instead of seven sacraments like our brothers and sisters down the street at the Catholic Church. Uh, one of their sacraments is wedding. And we would say, yes, well, certainly God is uh, expressing his wonderful grace upon this marriage. And if anybody here is married, there's a lot of grace that you must show your spouse at any given time from God, right? But 
Christ never said, get married. Christ never presided over a wedding, and so that's why uh, Protestant churches only recognize the two sacraments. When we participate in communion, in baptism, so in communion or uh, the Last Supper or the Eucharist, this is where we get the Greek word charis, which means grace, uh, we recognize that it is God's grace through Christ that these elements in which we participate in both here at the table and in the font uh, back here is that we are being able to participate in what God is displaying through his grace. He displays his grace to us and he gives us what we don't deserve, which is his love and grace. When we participate in the sacraments, we are participating in Christ's body. In baptism, we are, participating, we are participating again in an amazing act of grace given by God. God is the one meeting us as we partake in these elements. And it is so mysterious. Can we fully know all that is happening when we are baptized? Can we fully understand and grasp the depth and breadth of God as we meet God at the table? as God meets us at the table. To fully explain these mysterious uh, ways of grace is to say that we limit God and we can understand how God is moving. So because God is the one doing the moving, we are just the participants, but we are not inactive participants. We are, by our faith and by simply um, living into this grace that God has given to us, acknowledging just how amazing God is. So, in infant baptism, we got to see two infant baptisms this morning. The infant baptism is displaying in a hope that the parents and sponsors and the congregation have that one day this child would choose to commit their lives to Christ, and so they are looking forward to that decision. The people who are being baptized today have already made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, to be his disciple forever, and so they are looking back at that commitment. One is looking forward, one is looking back at the amazing grace that God has bestowed upon them. And so we see that there are people, maybe in this congregation, maybe you grew up in a church that did not practice infant baptism. Maybe that was kind of foreign to you. And what I hear is that, well, you know, Jeremy, I don't, it's not in the Bible, okay? We don't see infant baptism in the Bible. It's not scriptural. It's only believer baptism. And I would say, sort of. So we're going to look at two instances in the book of Acts, chapter 16. They're going to be on the overhead if you would like to look. Chapter 16, verses 14 through 15 first. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, Scripture here does not say that there were children or infants being baptized in this instance. But what we can didact from the New Testament church is that when a household was mentioned, household would have included extended family members like grandparents or aunts, uncles, children, servants, slaves— and perhaps uh, babies that were there. We don't know for sure. 
We can't know for sure. There's some ambiguity within the household. So can we specifically say, yes, in these instances there was an infant being baptized? We don't. But we can also not discount it either. And so we look at Acts chapter 16 a little bit further down in verses 31 through 33. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all to the others in the house, uh, in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Again, the faith of the person in the home uh, passed on that belief and or that salvation down to their family. And do we know who was included in that household? Do we even know if they had a choice to choose God or not? Do we even know if they had a choice to be baptized or not? We don't. But we can't say that they did either. So this brings us to the early church. And we see that the early church fathers, those who were critical in establishing the canon of Scripture, that is determining what would be in our uh, modern-day Bible. We see the first instance of infant baptism by um, Irenaeus uh, in 130-202. to 202. That's the second century. Um, and he mentions it in his work against hi- uh, heresies. We also look at uh, Origen in 185 to 205, mentioning infant baptism as traditionary or, or customary, or traditional or customary. And then um, T- uh, Tertullian in 192 to 203 advises the postponement of baptism of little children and the unmarried. And then he mentions it was customary to baptize infants with sponsors speaking in their behalf. The apostolic tradition uh, attributed to Hippolytus of Rome describes how to perform the ceremony of baptism. It states that children were baptized first, and if any of them could not answer for themselves, their parents or someone else from their family would answer for them. So from the third century on, we can see that infant baptism was a very customary part of the early church, going all the way back to uh, Tertullian and Irenaeus and Origen. And so these were the people that helped establish our Bible and, and what the Bible says and, and how we have it today. And that led to uh, the Council of Chalcedon, Council of Nicaea. But this is not a history lesson. You're welcome. So we look and we can say, well, look, we can't know for sure if infant baptism happened in the Bible, but we can, conduct, we can deduct that from the, at least the second century that infant baptism had been occurring. The important thing is to remember that baptism is crucial to our faith in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7 says, Or you do not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also, uh, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. What an exciting 
wonderful passage that the Apostle Paul gives us again of how Christ is working through uh, these sacraments. The Pastor John mentioned this last week or the week before, I'm not exactly sure. But in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, because we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. It says, uh, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew, Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So as an evangelical covenant church, which the Countryside Covenant is a part of, we would say, look, we're not going to divide over this issue of baptism, okay? We can see in Scripture that there is some ambiguity that it was happening. We see that the early church had uh, instituted it in its practice. But if you're not going to practice infant baptism, that's okay. The important thing is, is that baptism occurs, okay? We believe strongly that baptism should occur. And so we would say, however... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have committed your life in following him and desire to live a new life and you are choosing not to be baptized, then you're being disobedient. Because scripture clearly points to that a person's salvation immediately followed by baptism is exactly what God has desired. It's in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. Jesus says, therefore go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you, for surely I'm with you all the way to the end of the age. And so we see that, um, not, to, not to shame anybody here if that's you, but to say, look, don't act in disobedience to not be baptized. This is a commandment that Christ is giving to us to be baptized. And so as a church, we would just say, baptism is important. Communion is important. These are elements that help strengthen our faith and get us to experiencing God in a very, very mysterious way. This morning, uh, I had the opportunity to baptize two babies, one of them being my own daughter, Kaylin, who's six months old. And um, we have also uh, had three of our children whom we didn't baptize as infants, we decided to dedicate them, and then they came to a profession of faith, and then they were baptized then. So our family's done it different ways. So I don't favor one way or the other necessarily. All is to say is that I appreciate both perspectives, and again, as a church, we're going to choose not to divide over it. But the important thing is, is that baptism and communion happen. All of our covenant pastors agree to this. We agree to um, allow the people in our congregation to follow their convictions of what they'd like to do. But again, what an amazing act of grace that God displays through these elements in a very mysterious way that we can probably never understand this side of heaven.